Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. I am I'm super stoked. If you've seen these interviews, you know, pretty regularly, I'd be like, hey, I'm excited. Hey, I'm, you know, honored, blah, blah, blah. blah. But today, I'm like really stoked because we got uh, uh, Joseph Warren here from Adams Road Ministry. Matter of fact, on if you watch the interview with Dr. Lynn Wilder, who was an ex-BYU professor who came out of Mormonism, one of the questions out there was from an individual, and yes, I do read all the comments, even the ones where they ridicule, mock, they yell, they curse, things like that. But this one, I just, I, I couldn't leave alone. It said, this video, talking about the Dr. Wilder video, really doesn't paint a clear picture. As a former missionary, if you want to know the truth about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, ask somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. The picture painted here isn't clear. Well, folks, today's guest is somebody that truly knows what goes on on the missions trip. And uh, Joseph, I'm just so excited to have you here because we can we can answer this question, this comment, this critique, as well as hearing your testimony and how God has pulled you out into the Mormon church. So I thank you so much for being with us today, man. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. So is there anything you want to just let our viewers know up front, anything about who you are, your background, family, things like that, before we jump into the questions? Um, I mean, I'm guessing probably a lot of it will come out in the questions and stuff, but I guess I would want to just maybe start out just by saying, like anybody that's watching this or listening to this, just understand that uh, anything that I'm saying or, or Daniel is saying, like, it's because we love we love you. And so if you're um, an LDS, if you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and you're listening, just please, I hope you that you'll feel like the genuine and sincere love that I have for you because you like the LDS people were my people. And so I, and I'll explain like how that was my background and how I have a heart for for you. So. Amen. Amen. Never want to neglect the fact that this was all done in love, but love yeah. does carry truth. And yeah. I'm very excited to get into your testimony. So I, I got about 32 questions, but I had to yeah. narrow it down to about 10 or 12 of them. But, hey, uh, I like really, to talk. So. <laughs> well, good. Like I said, you could talk as long or as little as you'd like to do, but right off the bat. All right. So could you tell me, and I'm going to read the questions verbatim so that the timestamps in the description match up with what I'm saying, but cool. can you explain what happens in an LDS church service each week? Is there structure amongst all LDS churches as to their teaching and their liturgy and things like that? What happens? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I think because of COVID, I think this might be different now, but okay. so when I was uh, in the LDS church, um, so it's a three hour block and basically it's broken up into one hour sections and uh, first one, and, and then there's kind of like some variations of in what order, but basically you're going to go to what's called the sacrament meeting, which is like the entire congregation um, meets together and grouped in families and stuff. And this is when like the leader of the Mormon church in of that congregation is called the bishop. And he will kind of open up the meeting. You'll have some hymns, which, um, they're not allowed to have like guitar or drums or anything like that. Oh, okay. You can have, uh, so they have piano and organ. Typically that's what their hymns are led. And so really very traditional type of service. And then they'll open it up for um, what they call talks. And it's where they have assigned a different like member of the congregation to uh, speak on a certain topic. And they have like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, something like that. Mm -hmm. So 
so basically, in, rather than like in the Christian church, you're going to expect to see like like the pastor or one of the pastors to come up and, and share like a sermon type thing, but that's not how um, it is in the LDS church. So, hmm. so at any given Sunday, somebody else is going to be speaking of the congregation. So it's like two or three, sometimes four maybe talks. And, um, and then they do, it's called sacrament meeting because then they take communion and for them, communion is leavened bread and water. And then they pass that. Um, they have like the youth pass that to the congregation and then some more songs and that's pretty much it. And then you break off into like men's like men's group and women's group and then also sunday school which is typically that's pretty much like uh in a christian church sunday school um uh, just divided in different ages and stuff so so that's every every sunday um those three hours on, on top of that you have tons of meetings and stuff depending on what your uh role in the in the congregation is now when you mentioned the talks that just certain people give instead of the preacher are they like tailored to a specific topic or do they just talk about whatever they want to talk about is it more experiential testimony stuff um it depends um, um every time that i got asked to give a talk i was given a topic but they okay. they really encourage you to make it personal and, and give like personal any kind of like stories or anything like type of thing and definitely your testimony so you would end you would usually end your like you would, you'd share a certain uh, amount of time on whatever that topic was, and then pretty much end it with your testimony um, to, to make it a personal thing. So the testimony is pretty important within the ODS church. Is that correct? Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You... So then, oh, sorry. And then what I just say, the only difference is mm -hmm. the first Sunday of every month, they call fasted testimony meeting where mm -hmm. Um, it's the same exact meeting, except instead of those different talks, then it, it, they allow anyone in the congregation to come up and to share their testimony. Like you were just saying, like mm -hmm. testimony is really important. Um, that's when like it, the entire meeting, the entire hour block is used for, uh, for sharing testimony. As far as the Sunday school lessons are concerned, you said it was pretty similar to just the normal church, if you will. Uh, are those like leaders in the ODS church that actually give those? Is that centered around a, a particular teaching guide or what, what's that? Yeah, like? uh, definitely a teaching guide. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and you asked if it was the leadership. So one huge thing about the LDS church, the structure mm -hmm. is that they call their individual members. Um, they give them certain callings in the church to, uh, to operate. So somebody just from the congregation is going to be teaching that class. Okay. Um, so the way that they keep on tabs of what's being taught is they have a manual and whatever Sunday it is, uh, uh, whatever lesson plan they're supposed to follow. If you went to any congregation of the Mormon church anywhere in the world that day, it would be the same lesson taught. And all of that is from top down. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Because from my studying, Jehovah Witnesses are very similar that... Yeah no matter which kingdom hall you were to go to or which ward you were to go to, uh, you'll find the very similar teachings on, on th the same days, if you will. So mm -hmm. I was curious if it's the same way within the LDS church. So yeah. now you, you went on a missions trip before, right? I did. So could you explain a little bit first, what is the purpose of an LDS missions trip? And then how does one get 
the the ability to go uh, is somebody recommended nominated do you just request it how does all that work okay yeah so uh so when when i went um and so i served my mission um in uh, 2004 through 2006 mm -hmm. and it's since changed but when i went it was when you turn 19 if you're a male and you turn 19 it's expected for you to go because in the lds church the and by the way, those that the LDS viewers, I'm sorry, like I know the big thing about like you want to say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but just for brevity, we're going to say LDS or Mormon, but not in the derogatory, like yeah, we don't mean anything by it, but just as a clarification. So, so, um, so that that's a good point. I didn't, I didn't know that. So do sometimes I take it derogatory if you don't say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints instead of the LDS yes. church. Okay. Well, uh, in just recent, yeah, just recently the, uh, the, the prophet of the LDS church said that basically um, you can, you can call it the full name or you can call it the church or you can call it the Lord's church. But um, so we're just, and, and so we're just going to call it like Daniel and I are just going to call it the LDS or Mormon church, but, but please just, we don't mean any like, you know, offense by it. So. Thank you for clarifying that, bringing that up. Yeah. Cause I honestly didn't know that. So I don't want to offend them right off the bat. So thank you for bringing yeah. that up. Yeah, it's just they, they they just like that respect. So, okay. Um, so okay. So, um, uh, let's see. Nineteen was, years uh, old, you said, yeah. is when they got selected. Yeah. So that's when I went, but now they've changed it to eighteen years old. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. But so basically, uh, when you turn nineteen, if you're a male, then you uh, you, you get interviewed to see if you are matching the worthiness standards because there's high high standards of worthiness for anything that, that deals with, uh, with um, any type of calling in the LDS church. Mm -hmm. So to go on a mission, you have to have this, like, uh, this um, status of, of worthiness. And that's, that's found out by different uh, questions that are asked about your personal life and mm -hmm. about you following the commandments um, of the LDS church and, and right. stuff like that. So if you pass that, then you, you submit your papers and basically just like, you just say like, okay, I want to serve a mission. Mm -hmm. And then you don't know where you're going to go and you don't get a pick. They do ask you questions about like, if you speak another language or if you prefer to stay in the States or if you'd want to go um, abroad. But um, ultimately it's the decision of the, uh, the LDS prophet and his 12 apostles and they, okay. and they, they determine where you go and then you get your you get your papers and then and then you go and the purpose of it is for evangelism because you're basically giving up two years of your life uh to focus the entire those two years like you don't have hardly any personal time and um it's very grueling and you wake up at 6 30 and you work all the way until i believe i think 9 9 or 9 30 is your is lights out i can't remember wow exactly yeah and so you're working um uh, like oh man just like at least 12 hours a day yeah um every day and so and your whole purpose is to bring people into the lds church because i believed it was the only true church so i poured my whole entire heart into it yeah so 12 plus hours every day yeah exactly. now is it true hello uh, that's my wife <laughs> so is it true that uh 
like, like I've met some Mormons on their missions trips that they couldn't either a drive, they couldn't drink coffee, can't drink tea, uh, very restrictive in a sense like that. Yeah. Yeah. They, it, it just, it really depends on your mission and everything. So I went to Orlando, Florida. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so here we were typically on like the bikes for the most of the time, but, but some areas were really large. So we had a car, but you, there were a lot of restrictions, but you're in, you're in a church owned car, you're mm -hmm. staying in a church owned apartment. And, um, and then, I mean, it's a life, there's a whole lifestyle of that two years. So yeah. I'll try to like kind of touch on what's important about that, but you're yeah. constantly being moved to different locations. Every six weeks, you could be moved to a different location. Like a city um, you mean, or? Yeah. Yeah. Like oh, the wow. Orlando mission was our mission, but we're, but we're covering like um, multiple cities mm. and, and, and all the areas around Orlando and stuff all the way, um, all of central Florida, basically. So, mm -hmm. so for six weeks, you could be in one city and then suddenly move to the entire other side of the coast. And mm. um, wow. And yeah. And the, so it was really difficult because you, you start getting attached to, uh, like your companion, like you're always with somebody else, another mm -hmm. missionary. That's why you always see them by in twos. You've probably seen that uh, right. two, three sometimes. Um, they have to be within eyesight and earshot of, of each other at all times um, in that, except for in the bathroom. So that's the only exception. And so it's so very restricted. What's the purpose of that being within eyesight, just keeping each other accountable? Yeah, I definitely think that. And also safety and stuff. Um, like we had rules where like we weren't really supposed to touch children. And I think part of that is so that somebody can't accuse you of like touching a child inappropriately or something right. like that. And mm -hmm. then, yeah, and then getting lawsuits. I think, I mean, definitely safety, um, accountability, and uh, also just, I mean, it was just control. And honestly, like to keep that control over you um, was helpful to keep you focused on what, you, what your purpose was. So, mm -hmm. so like, uh, like for instance, we weren't allowed to like touch the opposite sex except for like a handshake. So, mm -hmm. um, that really helps protect you <laughs> from right. exactly like the accountability thing. Yeah. So if you guys can just, anyone listening, you can imagine being with somebody that you don't choose for, uh, and, and all day basically. Um, and you have to sleep in the same room as well. So like you always like are with them, you never can get a break. Um, it was a good preparation for marriage for sure. Uh, of course, that would be more like an arranged marriage. <laughs> yeah. Like what you don't get to choose the person, right. but it, uh, there was really good advantages of, uh, like I learned a lot from my mission and, um, and, uh, so let's see, then you're like, yeah, you're just out on the street. You're knocking on doors. You're being rejected almost all the time. Oh, really? Were, yeah. Very few people were like kind to us. Um, and, and so by the way, just to the listeners, I really just, this is a strong thing. I just encourage you to be loving and compassionate when you see the Mormon missionaries or Jehovah's Witnesses, like, yeah. like understand the huge sacrifice, they're homesick, they're lonely, they're depressed. And I'm just speaking in my own experience, I went through those things and it was so awesome when somebody showed me even just a small amount of love, <laughs> even like a drink of water, sometimes like those Spanish people that we went to their house and they would actually like cook us food. And it was just so cool. Like we're strangers and just their culture is so awesome that they were like, well, we don't want to listen to what you say, but we'll cook you a steak or something. <laughs> okay, sure. 
So that was just really cool. And, I, and all these years later, I remember that, even though they didn't want to hear the message I was sharing. So, um, yeah. but yeah, your entire purpose is to bring people into the LDS church and uh, those that are already LDS, you're trying to encourage them and help them to stay strong. Um, if they become inactive in the church, you're trying to reactivate them. And of course, then baptize newcomers. Yeah. Now, one thing, I don't know if I'm just assuming this or not, but I know with COVID, I, I think a lot of L LDS missionaries are doing things through like Facebook and, and social yeah. media, things like that. So I was uh, somehow <laughs> an LDS member on a missions trip accidentally sent me a friend request and I was like, oh, okay, let's, let's, let's pray about this. And uh, so his name will remain nameless, but we were doing some good talks and it seemed like I was asking him questions that he really didn't have answers to. And he, he had made a mention that he was talking, to, going to talk to his uh, like missions leader or something like that. Do you, what, what is that? Um, yeah, he's probably referring to his mission president. So, okay. yeah, so there's, um, there's an elderly couple that will be assigned to a particular mission and they're over, they're in charge of all those missionaries there. And so, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think of how, how many missionaries they're in charge of, I mean, at least a hundred, maybe more, wow. um, that they're responsible for and mm -hmm. that they kind of um govern and basically they're the ones that the mission president the one that decides basically where the missionaries are serving within that okay. mission so so i wonder if it, for certain things. i wonder if it would make sense because it got to a point to where communication was just cut off it, it, it was like i was blacklisted yeah it, is that just me assuming things or have you known that to be the case when there are questions legitimate questions being asked that makes an individual question it that the the uh what do you call it the missions president just pretty much cuts off communication with that individual is that a legit thing or am i assuming that it's a real thing uh so when i was a missionary basically like you have your people that you call investigators the ones that are investigating the LDS church and you're trying to to help them and get them in mm -hmm. and you give them like certain amounts of um uh, man, what did we call them? <laughs> um, hmm. uh, uh, let's see, like, like, uh, like we'd, like, so we'd say like, uh, you need to read this chapter of the Book of Mormon this week. And if they didn't, then they, then they weren't progressing toward becoming an LDS member. And therefore we had to make the, the difficult call to cut them off and um, stop wasting our, basically wasting our time with them because they weren't ready not not that it was a waste to be with them but it was a waste of our time because we're looking for those who are ready to accept right. the church so when somebody if they encounter a christian and they start asking questions that cause them to start questioning their faith that would look as an immediate threat and they would either be moved or or be told like, like just just stop talking to them so that and is a legit thing then it is yeah so we had to blacklist certain people and then basically when you get moved to a different area and you come into a new area, there's, uh, there's a book that has all the information of all the people that missionaries in the area have taught before, huh. because basically yeah. you're coming in with a, like totally new, new yeah. you have to continue where they left off. Mm -hmm. And so in the book, it'll say, okay, this person, they were taught all these lessons and then they were blacklisted. So you give them a couple weeks and then you might try contacting them again and see if they're 
wanting to uh, join the Mormon church or not. So blacklisting could either mean that they were confrontational or it could even mean that they just weren't interested in progressing toward uh, joining the LDS church and instead were yeah, causing loss of faith and stuff like that. Yeah, I know years back there was a couple uh, LDS missionaries Again, names will remain nameless, but uh, they they were able to come over for like three Saturdays in a row, hmm. and we just swapped questions, just swapped ideas. I got the I, I learned a lot as far as you got to find out the background of an LDS missionary first because they come from different walks of life. One grew up in the LDS church; they're like sixth generation Mormon. Another one just came into it like a couple years back or whatever, and mm-hmm. so we were able to, able to have some really great you know, just discussions, if you will. But then all of a sudden, they wouldn't return my text. They mm-hmm. wouldn't call me. They wouldn't stop by the house. And so I would, and it's happened pretty frequently with some of the people that I've been talking to. So I was very yeah. curious about that. Yeah. Well, and and that happens a lot. And hopefully you're encouraged just to know that, I mean, God's word doesn't return void. And also, <laughs> like Paul says, that our job is to plant and water seeds. God gives the growth. And you know, in, in my story, uh, I mean, um, I didn't receive Christ until after my mission was done. But throughout those two years, there were a lot of Christians that planted seeds in my heart. And yet, even though God was working in me, like, I still outwardly, I still defended the LDS church and um, was afraid to let that go. And so from outward, from the outward perspective, they would probably be like, oh, man, I don't think I planted a seed there. And yet they did it, you know. So I hope that that's encouragement to you and to others that are listening, that you know that like the word of God is powerful, it's sharper (laughs) than a two-edged sword. And even if they don't believe that it's sharp, it is, and it is cutting them. And God's word will do, you know, will will be powerful. Amen. I I love Greg Kokel and what he has to say and the fact of gardeners and harvesters and the fact that Greg Kokel, best advice for me was you just want to put stones in people's shoes. Yeah. Leave them with something to chew on that they can't get rid of until they actually address it. And so, yeah, yeah, thanks for the word of encouragement. So, all right. So stones and shoes, that's a good analogy. Yeah. Greg Coco, he's, he's awesome like that. So his book tactics, we interviewed him Uh, while, while, while on your missions trip. Did you convert any now? Now, some of these questions were questions that when I was like, Hey, I'm about to get this guy, what you want me to ask? And they're like, Oh, you got to ask him this. So, this is a, a big question that came up. Okay. Yeah. Now, there, there's a few different parts to it. So, if you want me to break it down, that's fine. Let me know. Sure. While on your mission trip, did you convert anyone to Mormonism? If so, what religious background did they typically have? And what is the typical success of converting one during a missions trip? So three questions. Did you convert anybody? If so, what religious background did they have? And what's the typical success rate? Okay. Yeah, those are great questions. And I would say that it, it totally varies depending on what mission it is, the area and everything. So for me in Orlando, it's a melting pot of cultures. So there's so many like different. <laughs> so uh, so, so the first question, okay, so did I convert anybody to Mormonism? Yes. Um, I didn't really, I stopped counting because I, I got to a point where I, I, I didn't want to convert people to Mormonism, but I wanted to convert people to Christ more. And right. so I kind of just stopped um, 
So I really don't know what my count was, even though that's a big thing when you get it back off your mission and then you're like, like, you know, kind of not really bragging, but just kind of like with your, with your buddies, like, hey, how many did you convert and stuff? Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. So, uh, um, and, and I want to touch back on that of, of how I've dealt with and contacted those people since then. Um, that's uh, excellent. Yes, please do. Okay. So I'll hit that one later, uh, a little bit later, but, um, yep. okay. What religious background they typically have, um, there, there were a lot that were Christian, uh, but, or said that they were Christian, but, um, I can see now they didn't know the Bible. And mm. so they were kind of more cultural Christian, I would say. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I think, like, I guess the majority of the ones I converted were, were probably just nothing. They just, uh, right. or I didn't know, or I don't really know what they were, but as soon as they tasted what I was offering in Mormonism, they were very hooked and, and then left whatever they had. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one, the typical success, yeah. um, um, and that really just depends on where you are, but, uh, because like South America is like, they get like hundreds of converts, but, really? um, but no retention. So they don't really stay in Mormonism, but they'll, they'll just get the number for it. Uh, but yeah, and where I was, um, I would say it was, it was a pretty good, like, like pretty good harvest for the LDS church. We, we converted quite a bit of people as a mission, um, for the two years that I was there. Right. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. so there are a lot of people joining the LDS church, but I think a lot has changed yeah. now. I mean, like this is, I mean, this was in early two thousands. A lot has changed now where, uh, there's a lot of people leaving. A lot more people are leaving, um, the LDS church, but unfortunately they're leaving for atheism and agnostic and yeah. they are losing faith in everything. So, so I, I think I'm going to be asking you that question. Oh, are you? Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, well, I, I, I don't know, because as far as like those leaving the ODS church, and, and well, let's talk about it now real quick. Uh, why are they leaving the ODS church? Well, a lot of people are leaving because the LDS church has come out with um, and come out clean with the polygamy of Joseph Smith. Um, they have like the, what is it, CES letters or something. I, I actually haven't read them, but I know. Okay. That it's the it's them basically saying like exposing stuff that Joseph Smith did um, with polygamy and, and mostly and uh, mm -hmm. and other stuff and things that for a long time they had denied and so basically just like okay yes this did happen right. but it doesn't stop us from still believing that he was a prophet so that's how they're trying to counter it but that's shocking news for when those when those things came out. Um, online, it, it just threw so many people through a loop that, that revered Joseph Smith highly, and they didn't know what to do about it. So mm -hmm. a lot of people are just leaving because of that, um, because of the internet and, and being able to research like the actual church history and stuff like right. that. And unfortunately, and like I said, most of them are becoming agnostic and atheist, because the problem is, in the LDS church, you're taught not to trust the Bible very much. Mm -hmm. Like, it is your it is part of your canon. You accept it as part of your scripture, but it's with the caveat that it wasn't translated correctly, and you're never told what is and what isn't translated correctly. So you kind of read the Bible with just kind of some doubt, like a grain of salt. Yeah, you don't really just fully invest in it like you do with the Book of Mormon as an LDS person. So when you lose faith in the structure of the LDS Church and um, 
uh, the leadership and stuff like that, what do you have left? You basically, you don't trust the Bible. Um, and you've been taught as an LDS person, you've been taught that if one part is false, then all of it's false. And so when everything crumbles, you have nothing left and it's just, and you're hurt and you're, and you're like, um, from being deceived, you're, you're like, it's, it's like the death of a loved one. You go through all the grief and the depression and all that stuff. And it's a very difficult process to go through. And, and then are you going to open yourself up and, and trust in God again? It's just very difficult. So the, so what, what we, what Adams road do and what our ministry does, we try to focus on the Bible and try to get um, an LDS person to just read the new Testament. If they can find, if they can see what the, what the new Testament offers and see what Jesus is offering them, then we know that that will lead them out of the LDS church. Because when you, when you have Jesus, you have everything you need. Therefore you don't need anything else. And then you realize I don't need this church anymore. And I don't need to go to the temple and I don't need a prophet because Jesus is all those things. Therefore that's all I need. So so then they leave and they leave because they have a relationship with Christ. And, and so that's, that's what our goal is to try to do is to help people um, go through that process. We're not trying to make people leave Mormonism. We're trying to get people to find Jesus and then let whatever happens happen. And that success rate has been very, uh, uh, very powerful and huge because, like I said before, the word of God is powerful. And it speaks to everyone and it will affect everyone's heart. And so, um, so anyone that's listening, that is hearing uh, this podcast, um, a, a challenge that we give everyone is to read the Bible as a child. And we really encourage you that if you've gotten this far in the podcast, and if there's one thing to take away from it, it's that, is just to, to go into the Bible and, and to just trust it as if you were a little child reading it for the first time. And it will change your life. Amen. Amen. That that's actually a uh, a great segue into the next question. Oh, actually, good. You set that up like it was uh, on, <laughs> on a T bar or something. <laughs> How did you, Mr. Joseph Warren, find the truth of the gospel and receive Christ as your savior? Uh-huh. What led to your conversion to Christianity? Yeah. Okay. So this is going to touch on Micah's story, um, which I know you're going to have him on your podcast at some point. Um, so, uh, because Micah, Micah Wilder, he was a Mormon missionary here in Orlando. And so right before I met him, he had had a Baptist minister. He had, um, like he had a rundown with him and was challenged to do exactly what I just asked you guys to do, read the Bible like a child. And when he did that, that caused him to um, become a Christian. He became a born again Christian while he was a missionary, but that was at the end of his mission. I met him at the very beginning of mine and through the whole two year process of my mission, he and I, we met right at the beginning of my mission and we became like best friends. And I just stuck by him like glue and he taught me things that he was learning and encouraged me to read it myself. And so the way that I came to know Jesus was through the power of the word of God, as I read it myself, as my friend had encouraged me and invited me to read it and uh, to approach it like a child. It was difficult at first because like we're reading the King James Version Bible and 
uh, so it's old English, and so it's hard to understand already. Yeah, just because I don't speak thou and be and whatever. <laughs> uh, I don't speak as thou in this way, and and <laughs> but uh, but also I had to set aside all the the what I had been taught that it wasn't translated correctly and that and that it wasn't um, and that it was corrupted by the Catholic Church and stuff like that that I had been taught. I had to, to throw all that away and approach it like, like I want to be taught that. And I want, and I, and basically I had the, the prayer in my heart that, that God, like the Holy Spirit put in my heart to, to just desire God's truth above anything else, no matter what it meant, no matter how it affected my beliefs. I just, I came to that point where I was like, I just want to know the truth. And, uh, and so then God started to unveil that truth to me through his word and reading it um, just each day um, it transformed me and it changed me to stop focusing on like I said earlier stop bringing people into the the church per se but I just wanted to serve people to love them because I was feeling I was feeling God's love pour into my heart mm. in a way that I had never felt before and like I want to share this love with other people because this is mind-blowing and I've never felt it like this before. And so I, I just tried to, to pour that love into other people and to point them to Jesus. Now, of course, I wasn't a Christian yet, but God was working in me and using me even while I was still this sinner that was uh, destined for hell because I had broken God's law and yet he was using me as he changed me. And so people started to see that change in me while I was a missionary. Um, some of my investigators, like some of the people I was teaching, like mm -hmm. I stopped focusing on like, you got to come to church. You got to get baptized. Instead, I was like, look, just, just read this chapter, like of the Bible and just check this out. Yeah. And they started noticing that other missionaries started noticing that. And so I don't want to tell much about Micah's story, any more of that than that. But okay. basically uh, there were, there were things that happened in our mission where any missionary that, that was following this, um, we, we called it, uh, we called ourselves love elders because, love elders. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because we were focused on love and then, okay. And then lovingly we called the other missionaries number Nazis that were in the mission, <laughs> <laughs> not to their faces. Of course. <laughs> I guess that's not much better. I don't know, but we just, but we, there was this, there was this, division that happened in the mission that was led by Micah as he was being changed and he was teaching us other wow. missionaries uh the power of God's love um because he was in a leadership role in the mission so he was it's called his own leader where he was in charge of like you know um uh, 20 or some sometimes less uh, 20 missionaries or so I was a district leader so I was over like 10 or so missionaries and so he was teaching all of us the power of God's love and encouraging us to love and serve and don't worry about numbers, just focus on bringing people to Jesus and, and pointing them to him. And then I started doing that and other missionaries started doing that. And the result was that missionaries were demoted from their leadership position. So they couldn't spread this any longer. Um, oh, our mission yeah. president felt threatened by that, obviously, because, you know, the, the whole power of the LDS church is to bring more members in. I mean, that's what they want. And I recognize that and I can understand that. And so we weren't trying to be rebellious, but we were being moved by God's love and changed by it that we couldn't, we couldn't stay silent about. It. And so um, uh, anyway, so again, I don't want to say any more about Micah's testimony. I don't, I don't want to spoil that, but um, 
he basically led me to Christ. Like God, God drew me to Jesus through Micah and through me seeing the change that happened in him and me wanting to follow the path that he was walking. Just like, like Paul talks about, like, follow me as I follow Christ. It was like, I was seeing something changing in him. And I'm like, I want that in my life. And, uh, it didn't happen until I got off my mission that I finally surrendered my life to Christ. But that process was a very long process through those two years. Amen. That's, you know, we had talked to Dr. Jason Lyle, who's a presuppositionalist, talked to uh, Jay Warner Wallace, who's an evidentialist. And it sounds like really the experiential aspect of apologetics is partly what drew you is the fact of uh, Micah's testimony and the change yeah. in him and a very different change from what you're used to with the ODS church. But so yeah. I understand that whenever somebody leaves uh, Kingdom Halls, they're excommunicated. Uh, what challenges did you face personally when you left the ODS church from friends, family, work, things like that? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and that's a great question. And and I think it varies depending on the individual and the situation they're in. Um, mm-hmm. Because I've heard of a lot of people that like lose their jobs, that are thrown out of their house, depending on their mm-hmm. parents' situation. Um, like I have a good buddy that when he left the LDS church, and didn't say anything against it, but just said, I just want, I just only have faith in Jesus now. They're, they're like, because you're not LDS anymore, like you can't live here and was thrown out and have had minimal contact for the last three or four years. Wow. Um, and because he wasn't allowed. So, so that's really tough. So luckily for me, um, it wasn't that severe in that physical aspect because uh, mm-hmm. basically I get off my mission and then two weeks later, I'm back here in Florida to be a part of, of Adams Road, which um, Micah had started. And, and that's, I mean, I can get into that a little later and stuff of the way that that formed. But, um, and then I, and then I just, I've lived here in Florida ever since my family's all in Utah. So, so there's a distance there, but if I were in Utah, it would probably be much more severe if I was like living, you know, near my family. Um, mm-hmm. So basically, uh, you lose everything. And just like Jesus says, like, you have to be willing to renounce everything to follow Christ. And uh, he says, I don't come to bring peace. I come with a sword to make the, the people of their own household be their enemies. And that's really what happened for a while. Like when I told my family what had happened, I lost those relationships and uh, they were hurt. They were like, they're heartbroken. I mean, just, I mean, if you're if you're a parent and you're listening, I mean, and you have sons and stuff. And so like, yeah. uh, and kids. And so if, if, if you imagine if they were grown and then they, then they left the Christian faith that you raised them in, that would break your heart. Of course, yeah. you still love them. But I mean, just imagine like that, that's the gravity that, uh, that my parents went through when I left it. And um, all my siblings, they were looking up to me. Like I have six in my family. Um, and I'm the second oldest. Um, and so when I went on my mission, it's, it's like something that like, when your older brother goes on a mission, it's like, you look up to them and you want to be, you want to serve a mission to be like your brother. And so I lost that, um, them looking up to me, that reputation in my family and in my congregation and all the people that, that saw me grow up as a kid and knew me as this like really strong, loving, um, loving of the LDS church, uh, passionate member of the LDS church, um, strong in the faith person. And then to give that up, that, that was shocking for them. 
um, I was engaged to uh, my Mormon girlfriend that had waited for me for the two years. And so I had to also face that cost. And all of it was so like, it's so difficult to give all that up because of how much I love those people. I didn't want to hurt them. Mm. And they couldn't understand that I had found something that was so much more valuable. I mean, it's just like how Jesus gives that parable of the man that finds like a treasure. And then in a field, he buys the field yeah. and like sells all he has to buy that field because that is the only thing that matters. Like when I found Jesus, that that's that treasure for me. And like yeah. nothing else mattered. And so even as much as I loved my parents and as much as I loved like that fiance and my siblings and all my friends and my life, <laughs> Yeah. I loved Jesus even more. And it was, it was, it was the hardest thing to do in my life to lose myself, uh, to take up my cross, to follow him. But I knew that what I was gaining was, was better. And, uh, and so I hope that like, as people are hearing this type of stuff, that they can have compassion and understand that when somebody in the LDS church and they, when they lose their faith for Christ, they, truly lose everything and but it's worth it <laughs> and it's only worth it because you have jesus it's not worth it just to leave mormonism and lose all that stuff but to gain christ um is worth the loss of anything amen eternal life you got security amen. going to heaven with god after this and you'll exactly. have a new earth but from my understanding you know we saw your wife come in so you are married now right yes so yeah you have any kids uh we don't have any kids so okay. Yeah, but so uh, that was Katie. So she's the she's the sister of Micah. So oh, that's yeah, kind of right. like basically, yeah, basically like after uh, Micah is his like he started sharing with his family and stuff, and yeah, and so he shared with his sister, and she came to Christ while she was a senior in high school in Utah, a very strong Mormon um, high school and everything, and so she also went through that same cost of right. losing all that stuff. Um, but then of course gained Christ. And then, um, she came out to Florida to visit and like to see her brothers and, and she saw me and saw it. Like, hey. <laughs> it's like, there's Joseph. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. <Ow>. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, so y'all been married for how long? Yeah. So, uh, let's see, 2007. So this, okay. so this will be 14 years this fall. Nice. nice. Awesome. Congrats, yeah. man. Yeah, thank you. Well, I hate to go in a little more somber of a note, but no, that's it, fine. It's got to be a follow-up question to just the struggles that you and a lot of other ex-Mormons go through. Is yeah. the fact from my study, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. By all means, please do, because I don't want to be saying things that are incorrect. But yeah, within the ODS Church, the or the teachings, I should say, the only teachings really found within outer darkness are those that are deemed sons of perdition and the fact that it's my understanding is sort of the the mormon concept of hell if you will and only sons of perdition get sent there and according to the lds teachings that someone that has fully accepted the lds church and the lds gospel and this and that and they leave the church then they are deemed sons of perdition and they go to outer darkness is that accurate? And is this a fear tactic similar to the Jehovah's Witness where salvation is only found in the governing body? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I would say it really depends on who you ask, because I think so, I think certain people in the LDS church might have a different view of it. Um, so I'm trying to think of the official like 
official stance and doctrine of it. Um, and I think what you're making reference to is in the Doctrine and Covenants, there's a chapter where it says, a section where it says that uh, um, that those who have like, it's like received the, the power and uh, rejected it. So, which in context, I believe is talking about the priesthood and therefore okay. would go with what you're saying that you have to be a, an LDS member and then have turned away from it in order to qualify some tradition. Yeah, they kind of make it difficult to go to hell, to their version of hell, to outer darkness um, in their doctrine, because even, mm. even like people that stop going to the Mormon church or stop drinking coffee or something like that and it aren't worthy of the temple anymore, they're still going to like the second degree of heaven because there's mm -hmm. three degrees. Um, the, the very top, top, tippy top is, you know, the very worthy um, LDS members. But even the lowest member, or the sorry, the lowest kingdom of heaven is for the like murderers and rapists and yeah. terrorists and uh, Hitler. Yeah. And then and then you have the sons of perdition with the devil and his angels and those who have left LDS Church and fight against it. So they would classify, I think, I believe, as anti Mormons. Um, now would go there. And I think it your time for sure. When I uh, I first came across. Uh, sisters in the LDS church on a Mormon mission trip. I, I've never known that there were a thing as Mormon sisters, if you will. <laughs> yeah. You know? So that, that was interesting to me, but yeah. whenever I talk to them or any of the missionaries knocking on my door, it really seems like I'm banging my head or talking against a brick wall when I'm trying to explain biblical grace. Mm -hmm. Why does it seem so difficult for us to really get through what is true grace, because according to the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, uh, really the Articles of Faith, mm -hmm. grace is not really grace. We all know the passage in Nephi, for it's grace you are saved through faith after all that you can do. Yeah. But then in the Articles of Faith, in like verses one through three, it talks about all the different things you have to do. Why is it so hard to explain biblical grace mm -hmm. to an LDS member? Yeah, oh, so that's a great question. I think it has uh, two parts. Um, one is the an actually answering specific about what grace is and why they have a, a difficulty, um, why you have a difficulty speaking through that. But also just the generalized thing is that they use the same terminology uh, mm. that we as Christians use. So when I was a missionary, I would say grace, but I meant something different. And when, and if a Christian doesn't understand and doesn't know what they're actually saying and speak Mormonese as almost yeah. to say, then uh, you will be talking past each other and think that you're agreeing with each other, yet you're not. Um, and so we have a really good uh, resource on our website. Um, our website is adamsroadministry.com. And we have a page called Ministering to Mormons, which just gives lots of tools uh, of, of ways that you can look at things and approach things and love and speak gently and with compassion. And one of those things is to have a terminology uh, chart basically explains like if they say this, this is their terminology that they might be using. And of course, this is what the Bible says and it has a comparison. And so that would be a really good resource. Uh, so for instance, for grace, as, an, as when I was LDS, what I, what I would say grace, I'm talking about either salvation as in resurrection so um so salvation is when is that jesus died on a cross and gave resurrection to everyone as a gift that's what salvation is as a free gift 
exaltation is what we would what we as christians would call as salvation because that's entail uh, that entails like living with god in the next life forever um, in his presence and but for that you have to work for it so they can technically say i'm saved by grace it's a free gift there's nothing i can do to earn it and they're talking about resurrection and that's how they're able to talk past christians but if you were to say what do I need to do to be exalted to, or to live in God's presence after I die is faith enough. And they would have to say no. And so that's how you can kind of cut through um, by lovingly ask a question that, like that. So another thing is that grace, according to um, in the back of their, their canon of their scripture, they have a Bible dictionary that defines grace as the enabling power to, to do what God has commanded them or something like that. Okay. So basically grace is what God gives you to follow the law of, of the LDS church and see what, and see, that's a gray area for, because for, for Christians, we would say that grace enables us to, um, to live godly lives after we're saved and that's called sanctification. Right, and yeah. so, it's kind of a, it's kind of a version of that. I think um, that, that in their mind that they're trying to, they think that they're saying the same thing, but they're not because they're putting the cart before the horse and mm -hmm. they're saying you have to do all this before Christ's grace is sufficient for you. According to the book of Mormon, it teaches that like you have to deny yourself of all ungodliness. And if you've done that, then Christ's grace is sufficient for you. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's putting you, cleansing yourself of all your sin before Christ's grace can kick in. And obviously, that's opposite of what the Bible teaches. All right. Now, I think you, you explained it very clear. Dr. Wilder uh, talked a little bit about it in our interview, but how you put it together, I mean, for me, it was just like a light bulb moment. Because if I can repeat and rephrase to make sure that I understand properly, is yeah. uh, grace is really just the aspect of the Mormon belief that Jesus's death and resurrection provided resurrection for everybody, either terrestrial, telestial, or celestial kingdom type deal. And salvation is the ability to gain exaltation going through the temple endowment ceremonies, ordinances, things like that. Is that correct? I, I think so. I mean, I think, yeah, um, I would say, um, I would say salvation is the first one and exaltation is the second. Now, it, this isn't part of the questions, but it, but it begs okay. the question for me. And if you okay. want to just bypass it, by all means, let me know. But uh, now I understand in the LDS church, well, President Lorenzo Snow, and I believe the church still holds his stance that uh, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. And they teach that uh, people within the LDS church can gain an exaltation status, have their own planet with celestial marriage and have spirit children and sort of be like God is today, but we could be God with another planet. Uh, right. How does that not seem illogical with the same view that an exalted LDS member can live with God if an mm -hmm. exalted member actually is distinct from God and has her own planet? You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I've actually wondered the same thing. Um, and just to clarify, so when I was LDS, the way that I would explain what you were just saying about like um, about uh, becoming a god and, and different stuff like that, 
um, the way that I would have explained it as a missionary was that, well, if God is our father, which they believe that he's like an exalted man who has become and is literal the father of their, of their spirit bodies that existed with him before they came to earth. And if he is that, then wouldn't we want to be, wouldn't he want us to be everything that he is? just like you as a father want your son to have the, uh, and, and to be like you in, in those ways, uh, in the good ways. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's how they would explain it. They don't think about it as like exalting yourself, but they think about it as, um, as becoming like God who is their father. Of course it is exalting yourself. And of course it is, uh, it doesn't make sense that you can be your own God Oh, and also clarify one other thing is they, they never believe that when you attain that status of God, it doesn't make your God any less of a God. So basically there's this constant like succession and mm-hmm. he's always going to be their God. Even when you're a God and you have your own people, there's like a grandfather God. Type, I mean, for lack of a better term, <laughs> that's kind of how that, how they see it. So they don't ever, they don't believe that you attain the level um equal to their god because mm-hmm. he's always constantly progressing progressing as yeah. you progress however you can get to where he was that type of thing um <laughs> so yeah, I, it is confusing but yeah but uh anyway but that doesn't really matter too much but just to clarify just so that if, if an lds person is listening like I, you know we're giving the benefit of the doubt of an actual explaining it the best we can um and not misrepresenting it, um, you know, anything accidentally. But uh, I always, I asked my mom the same thing. I was like, mom, if, if you uh, and, and dad are like, if you guys are on your own planet, and then if I were to join back in the LDS church and I become, um, and I go through the temple and I get married in the temple. So I progress and I become my own God. How are we an eternal family together? Like, I wouldn't be with God because I would be on my own planet and you would be on your own. So how are we an eternal family together? How am I with God? And they don't really have an answer to that. They don't really, I don't know if they've really thought it through or if they really care because family is the most important thing to them. Honestly, for a Christian, it's just like, you're just going to bask in the presence of God. You just cannot wait to be, just to be with him, you know, like whatever I'm doing, I don't care. I just want to be with him. I just want to feel his presence. I want to see him. I want to be there with him. I don't, I don't want anything else. And, but for an LDS person, that sounds might like that might sound boring to them because they think that there's something greater and it's because they have, uh, they have a, 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 like a, a, a small view of God and they, 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 their, their God is so small and he's not this all powerful, you know, being he's, he's just like this exalted man that they can become someday. So it's not an unattainable, like, like amazing, huge thing that you can't even comprehend. It's like in a box and you can comprehend it. And therefore it's not that glorious. Um, and that's, and I, I'm not making characterizations of like all LDS people. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying like, that's how I viewed it and, and how I view it now, you know, the difference of that. Now that, that begs another question, but I'm not going to ask it. Ah, I know like sure it, it's either first, second, or third book of Abraham. 
is when it's talking about the creation account, it talks about a plurality of gods, uh, yeah. not, not, not the Elohim, the Trinity that we would see in scripture, but, and then if God is a, God is a exalted man, then there has to be a God above him. And then it breeds a polytheistic religion, if you will, of some That's... sort of sorts. But I, yeah. we, we could talk about stuff like this all day and I would love to, but <laughs> I, I, I got to move on, but sure. Anyways, so, all right, so we talked about biblical grace versus Mormon grace, but Mormon knocks on our door, Mormon missionary, what is the best way we can effectively be used by God to reach this Mormon or these Mormons because they're in pairs? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, I mean, number one is to love them and to make sure that, um, that uh like you're speaking the truth but in love so like if you think about like how uh how delicate like a little like uh, a little blade of grass is and jesus said that uh, oh the prophecy in isaiah about of that jesus fulfilled that he wouldn't even break a bruised reed um you see a blade of grass that's that's bending and that's ready to break are you going to be harsh with it or gentle with it and and it's important to see these uh, LDS missionaries coming that they're lost and they're broken and they need Jesus. And so, so you have to think about how, how would they perceive love? If, like, and put yourself in their shoes and be like, if I were to knock on somebody's door, how would I want them to approach me uh, or to react? I'm sorry, react right. to me. Yeah. Cause dude, it is scary, man. to knock on strangers doors, especially now with COVID and stuff. I don't know how they do it, but I don't think they do anymore. But like, dude, it's terrifying. And like, yeah, it is. I mean, they're uncomfortable. You're invading their pro like their privacy and their home. And like, and it is scary. And like, you get yelled at and you get like, like guns threatened on you and like um, sworn at and like chased. And really? uh, it, it, yeah, I, I did. I did. I mean, Micah talks about like, he had dogs sicked on him and he had people pull guns on him. I just had somebody threaten it, but I mean, wow it's scary dude and like and and uh so they're putting themselves out there so okay so come yeah. from that perspective and then right. the other thing is the very important thing is that we as believers uh jesus said that um that uh, the defining attribute for us to be shown to the world is love mm -hmm. that god is love and that we that uh people will know jesus disciples if we love one another therefore if a non-believer a non comes to your door, wants to talk about God, and you have Christ in you, like, what should your reaction be? I mean, like, it's hard enough to start a conversation with somebody, like, in line at Walmart or something, you know, to share yeah. Jesus. Dude, this guy is at your door, and he wants to talk about God with you. It's like, and then you slam the door on their face? No, but that's what happened. So many Christians slam the door. I, mean, I had lady... I had a lady yell at me. She was like, she's like, you're a false disciple of Jesus. Get off my door. Bam, slam the door. Or like yelling scriptures, like yelling Roman scriptures at me in anger. And it's like, it's like, wow, that, that is the, huh? that can't do anything to help you find the truth, can it? No. And honestly, it did the opposite. I was like, I walked away and my companion and I looked at each other and we're like, dude, of course, this church is true and that's why this is evidence because look we're being persecuted by this christian lady 
we obviously have the truth and they're mad about it. So it just dug me deeper into my religion. But when I had people that showed me love, the love of God, um, that's what melted my heart. And so um, the amazing thing is that uh, I was taught on my mission that it's all about love. And God is me discovering God's love for me, which was Christ. Christ's love for me, which was the cross. And then my love for God was to show others God's love for them. So, so what we encourage people to do is to invite them in. Like if you can't do an appointment right then, like, like schedule a different appointment or something, um, arrange for, to feed them. And so like load them up with tons of food and like find out their favorite meal and like cook that meal or something. And then, and then let them share their message. And, um, and uh, after they've shared their message, like listen, like listen, like politely and stuff. And, uh, and then be like, okay, you know, really appreciate it. And you'll see their zeal. You'll see their, like how they they're passionate about their religion and about God, but it's in ignorance. Like Paul talks about in Romans 10 about the Jews that, it's an ignorance, but they, they don't have uh, the knowledge of Christ and, but you do. So then you can be like, let me share something with you and, and just share the, the simple gospel of Jesus and make it personalized to you. Share um, verses of, of scripture that have affected you personally. Those are all things that you can do. If you only have a short amount of time with them, which I do sometimes with, with Mormon missionaries or something, then exactly what you said to put a, a stone in their in their shoe. Don't put don't make the stone be anything about Joseph Smith, the Book of Mormon, uh, and the corrections of it, uh, polygamy, uh, becoming a god someday, um, anything uh, racism of the Mormon Church, like anything like that. Don't put any of those things in. Put a stone in their shoe of something of a scripture in the Bible, uh, especially in the New Testament, that makes them think because. Ultimately, you want to push them into the word of God and let them read it themselves and let them discover it themselves. See, and uh, when I had talked to Dr. Wilder, she had made a reference that uh, most Mormons, they will, though they don't really put much stock in the Bible, like you said, unless they have a JST and they see his notes, if you will. But what they will put stock in is the words in red, the words of Jesus Christ. Right. right. And so one of the things that she uh, pointed out, which I thought, was wonderful advice is the fact of Jesus had told the apostles that he would establish his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Mm. And that being the case, if Jesus established his church upon the uh, apostles teachings, there's no way that the church would have been able to go apostate if the gates of hell couldn't even prevail against according to Jesus's own words. Uh, mm. So I, I love what she said. And then, then you'd made mention awesome. during that time is, Use the testimony, use your own testimony because Mormons are very experiential. It's all about their testimony, the burning of the bosom, if you will. So I yeah. love that. But one of my problems is I think I'm blacklisted. So how okay. can I get off the blacklist? So I'm blacklisted too. <laughs> so, so what happens? So what I so what I do is uh, some some ex-Mormons um try to hide the fact that they were mormon and try to like pretend and then like kind of hustle them almost in a way where okay. they like pretend like they don't know anything about it and stuff but i don't do that i come straight out and i say like look i was a mormon missionary i served i i grew up in the LDS church i loved it with all my heart and 
this verse is one of the ones that speaks to me. It's one of my life verses that, that affected me as one of my favorites. It's 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And the reason why that's powerful to me is because when I was in this church, the LDS church, I saw the cross as foolishness. And now I've been changed by it and I see it as the power of God. This is the power that God has changed and, and, and done in my life and that Jesus has changed my life and I know he can in yours. And then I would probably like encourage them to, to like open the Bible um, or if I have more time, maybe ask them a certain question. Um, like a question I like to ask missionaries is, you know, I love Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Um, and I know you've probably heard it before. Um, and I know that you probably would counter it with James chapter 2, which talks about faith without works is dead and thinking that they may be conflicting with each other. But if you take the, just look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and 10, actually through 10. And I just, I'm wondering, how do you reconcile your beliefs with this teaching that it's a free gift? And obviously they go to James 2 and then I like to go into James 2 with them and be like, let's look at James 2 and in context and you can explain and show that the two examples that James uses of faith and works and, and even when he says this, you, you can see that someone's justified by works and not by faith alone. You can see the, uh, the context is with Rahab and with Abraham and both context, both of those stories has the person declare something out of faith, faith in God, and then they act on it. And therefore, that's how works are tied to, um, uh, to that justification rather than, um, uh, rather than doing nothing. Because they kind of think that, that, that we as Christians are saying have faith, but faith that, not, that doesn't have works to follow. Mm -hmm. And as you and I know, <laughs> And even in Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says that we've been prepared for good works to do the, uh, because we're Christ's work, uh, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do those good works. So we're saved by faith and that results in works. And I, and I try to like go through that. And I like, so that's how I can make sense of it. How do you make sense of it? You know, and, uh, and that was a very long <laughs> version of it, but I would do it really short, you know. <laughs> Uh, but just yeah. that that's what I mean like just the type of questions like that just to make them think and and it doesn't matter what they say even if they try to defend it because mm -hmm. you planted that that little rock in there so yeah I I have to admit it though I was early on I was the one that slammed the door in, in missionary's face but then I realized like like you had pointed uh, out dude God is sending them to my door to witness I don't have to knock on their door they're yeah. coming to me and I could talk about Jesus. And so, yeah. and like you said, one of the best ways I, it, it sounds like is just loving them, yeah. you know, and two commandments, hangs all the law and the prophets, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so exactly. it doesn't matter if they're Christian or not, we should still love them. And then love yeah. does declare the truth with grace. So, you know, it's interesting because I've always looked at LDS missionaries as the individuals that really had their stuff together not only practically in just uh, right living morality wise, but also according to LDS theology. So I was, I was flabbergasted when I would talk to a bunch of missionaries and they wouldn't know teachings of 
collab or how I would hide a collab songs, hymns, or <laughs> they wouldn't know about the plurality of marriage within doctrine and covenants and just a lot of these obscure teachings. Mm -hmm. Why do you believe that is that most seem to be ignorant? And I don't use ignorant as a bad word, negative word. It's just a lack of knowledge. Why does it seem know. like most yeah. of them are ignorant of these teachings? Yeah, and honestly, that's, that's a great question. I don't have an answer for that because, um, I mean, the only thing that I didn't know that I learned later on was that Joseph Smith was a polygamist. Like we, we accepted that Brigham Young was, but as a missionary, even I believed that Joseph Smith only had one wife. So later on, after I left the LDS church and stuff, and I did research on it, when I learned that, that shocked me. Yeah. But I think, uh, yeah, I, honestly, I don't know. But I think that there's, there's a lot of like, um, like, you grow up in a bubble type of thing. And you just like, I don't know, I, I honestly don't know how missionaries cannot, like, don't know well, let me ask you this. That they should not. Yeah. When when you were on your missions trip, did you know yeah. any of these teachings already? Um, yeah, I knew I knew Kolob. Um, I knew plurality of wives and doctrine covenants because okay. I read it. Um, uh, what was the third one? So you know, plurality, uh, just a bunch of different things. You know, exalted oh, okay. gods, things like that. Yeah, but exalted gods. Yeah. It, it might that. just be a sense of just like within the Christian church, you, you have people that just don't study they don't read scripture they right. don't take their faith seriously if you will but right. i just imagined i looked at missionaries more as like on the next level of uh of faithfulness and they would have but right so yeah it's just amazing maybe those are just stones to put in people's shoes as far as hey i never heard of that yeah well check out Kolob and not mm -hmm. only that the three kingdoms marriage and the writing about emmanuel swedenborg and in, in his heaven and hell book that was contemporary at the time of joseph smith and Maybe those are just stones. I don't know. But yeah. so two more questions. I'll let you go. Okay. Hey, that's fine. That's uh, great. So the, understand LDS church believes it is the only true church. When apostate uh, for years until Joseph Smith came and established it. From my studies, Joseph Smith was in a meeting with Methodists, Presbyterians, and I think Baptists, and they were arguing over doctrine. Joseph Smith said, which is right? Is any of these right? And then God revealed to him really essentially uh, the LDS church. My question is, when you were challenged by Micah, was there anything that you studied that made you realize that the LDS church was not the one true, true church? And if so, what was that? Yeah, um, I only studied the Bible. Um, when I was when I was a, a missionary, like I think today they might have a little bit more uh, leniency of what they can read and and watch and stuff like that but for us like if we saw what we classified as anti-mormon literature like like we felt like it would burn our skin if we touched it i mean honestly like there was one time where i went into a, a christian library uh which i didn't know or a christian bookstore which i didn't know it was at the time um me and my companion wandered in there and and i saw a book that said something like the truth about Joseph Smith or something like that. And I felt like I felt sick for the whole rest of the day. And like, yeah. uh, like it, it really like, it was a mental thing that really, really messed me up. So I didn't study anything else. I poured into the word of God and 
and the the big thing for me was the book of hebrews like when i got to mm. the book of hebrews and i realized that the whole entire i thought the foundation of the lds church was based on christ and i read hebrews and i realized the foundation of the lds church is priesthood temples the prophet high priests and i saw that all of those things were fulfilled in Christ. And to see Jesus fulfill those things through, through the book of Hebrews, I was like, then what do I have left? And that was one of the moments where it was like, the only thing I have is Jesus. That, that, that's the only thing remaining. So it was, it, was a tra- it was a tragedy for me at the time because I was like, like shook to my core. But at the same time, uh, it was powerful. That was, that was one of the eye-opening things for me. So, so <laughs> no anti-Mormon literature. I only read the Bible and that's the conclusion that I came to. And the book of Hebrew, that's, I, I could definitely Hebrew. see the parallels there. So yeah. that's one I'm going to put in my pocket. So, yeah. all right. So the last question that I have, uh, again, a lot of these were posed by people that were excited about your interview is, uh, uh, two-part question, really. Did you run across any ex-Mormons on your missions trip who were resistant to any religion? And you were talking about how they become atheists or agnostics uh, once they come out the LDS church. If you did come across them, how do you recommend they're reached? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Now, is this is this only referring to while I was a missionary or like even since then? Well, I would be curious to see as far as your missions trip. And then also if you tie into now today, uh, modern day, how would you reach that? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we did run into some uh, because uh, basically we would go to a house that, that would say like a part member family or something like that. And that meant that one of the spouses was uh, active LDS and the other one wasn't. Mm. And some of those situations were that, that one of the spouses had left or something but they had given themselves to like, I don't know, they were smoking and drinking and, mm-hmm. and had no, um, had no like uh, religion or anything. So, Oh, I got to ask you a question real quick about yeah. that. So you had mentioned yeah. that, brought that up. So yeah, hypothetical, but I imagine it's happened. Uh, yeah. Say, say me and my wife were married in the temple. Say I left the LDS religion, right? Left the church. Or no, 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 we'll say she does, okay? Because I'm working on exaltation to become a God of my own planet. She leaves the LDS church. Is there any hope for me and her still to have this celestial marriage and and have spirit children? Or is all that null and void now because she left? Um, uh, So if if she's removed her name from the records and like canceled her baptism, then she doesn't have any hope left but you can still be sealed to other women. So oh, okay. you, uh, as the priesthood holder, you can, you can be sealed to um, multiple women in the next life. Yeah. No, thanks. I love my wife. <laughs> but, uh, you know, dude, it's so funny. Uh, and, and this story is, is in Micah's book, which uh, I, I do want to plug in just a second, mm-hmm. but um, <laughs> cause, uh, cause he, he shared with like, uh, like a couple of ways of missionary, like, um, you can have eternal marriage. You can be with your spouse like forever. And like the guy told him like, dude, this life's long <laughs> enough. <laughs> and it was an older couple. And I remember that. It's, it's pretty funny. Uh, 
Okay, that's just tongue in cheek. I don't mean any offense to <laughs> the listeners. Um, uh, okay, so so how would you reach those ex Mormons that are now atheists yeah. or agnostic? Yeah, um, it, it's tough, man. Honestly, one of my sisters, uh, she left Mormonism. She thought, or then she she said she had become a Christian, and and now she's saying that she's agnostic, basically. So it breaks my heart, and that question, you know, hits me really deep because it's what's happening in my family. And um, the, I guess the way to reach them is the same way to reach anyone that's lost. Um, I'm, I'm trying to uh, just to, to pour God's love into her, to show her, uh, show her acceptance because knowing that, knowing that any, uh, the LDS church, um, like siblings or friends or anything might have, like judgments and condemnation to throw on her because of that. Um, I want to show her uh, forgiveness and compassion and grace that, that God offered me when I didn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's important to not like push, not push it on them. I, I felt like for a long time that I was a bad Christian. If every time I had a, t- a chance to talk with her, I didn't try to share Jesus with her. Mm-hmm. And, and realizing that if I've shared it with her, uh, and she knows what I believe and she knows, and she's heard the truth, then I don't have to keep like trying to shove it down her throat, you know, like, like you have to come to a point where basically I'm at the point where I say, God, like, I'm okay with my sister being agnostic right now. Like, Mm -hmm. like I know you're, I know she's in your hands. I want her to be saved more than anything, Mm -hmm. but I can't change that. I can't force it. And you're the one that has to do the work in her heart and, um, and it has to be in your timing. So, so like, I can't, so I can't like dictate to you what to do with her. So, uh, it's the same with my Mormon family. I mean, honestly, I approached them, her the same way I approached them is, is that I'm okay that, that they're in the LDS church right now, because I believe that they'll be saved someday and I love them. And in the meantime, I'm going to keep loving them, keep praying for them. And when you offer chances to share God's where I'm going to take them, but, um, but I'm not going to try to, to push it. And uh, what it's done is it's, uh, it's, it's uh, repaired those relationships. So if it's with somebody that, that they can develop a relationship with, that's what I would encourage them to do. And to use that relationship to pour God's love into them. And eventually love will love will win you know like love will conquer god's love will conquer and and will will melt their the ice in their hearts and uh and they'll see that nothing else satisfies but christ jesus Hmm. so that's what that's what i would say amen and and like you said that's huge as far as an ex-mormon because more often than not they're going to be uh uh, really excommunicated they lost their church family probably friends things like that so really just showing them love showing them grace showing them mercy and just like you said just loving them and just telling them the truth and being there because that's what christianity is it's love it's forgiveness it's mercy and so exactly. you know that's that's really great so that's pretty much all the questions i had is there anything that you want to go over cover anything you want to plug anything you want to rehash out before we end the interview buddy yeah, thank you. Yeah, so um, so I've made mention of Micah's book, and I want to make a huge plug for this because it's going to be coming out this uh, this summer, Lord willing. And but right now it's available for pre-order on Amazon. So um, it's called Passport to Heaven, 
And it's basically, if anybody listening has read the book Unveiling Grace by Lynn that she most likely talked about, this is um, the preamble of, of that book. So it's basically what happened before everything that happened in the family. And it's just the two years of Micah's journey as, as a missionary and how God's word transformed him and what, and what that entails. Um, so I just, I highly recommend everyone to check it out, um, to pre-order that. And, and uh, where can they get that? It. You can, uh, well, on Amazon for sure, uh, <laughs> for now, um, but it's going to be available anywhere the books are sold. Um, I believe in, in, uh, may or june i think may mm -hmm. uh so this summer anyway but our website our ministry website is adamsroadministry.com and there's uh, links to the book on there um but there's so many other things on our on our website um we have so many resources for uh if you if you want to be able to like speak to the lds people in love and compassion uh the page like i said called ministering to mormons um we have this thing called a Bible topic guide list where we took Definitely. all these topics of the, uh, that are, that are important to the LDS members. And we compiled all the Bible verses that we could, um, into that topically so that, so that can be a great resource. You can download that in PDF. Uh, our ministry is one as a musical ministry and a testimony ministry. So we share our music for free. And what we do is we put God's word to music and then we, and then we give it um, as free of charge. So we have 10 albums that you can download for free from our website, um, or you can listen to them right there. Um, then there's uh, tons of like, um, there's videos, um, there's books that we offer. We offer free Bibles uh, from our website that people can mm -hmm. order. Um, we have shirts that say Jesus is enough because that's a really huge like tagline of our ministry. And so, and we, we take all the proceeds from those sold t-shirts to uh, to benefit uh, needy children through Compassion International and Food for the Hungry. And so, again, that's a, a link on the website. So you can just, like, explore the website. There's plenty to, to check out. Uh, testimonies are on there, video. Um, and I know you're going to be interviewing each of the guys and, and uh, girls and stuff um, eventually. So, <laughs> so I don't want to say any more of their stories or anything like that but um um let's see the oh the, so the last thing is that we're a traveling ministry so we do travel around the country if anyone listening would be interested in having us like share our story and share our music at your church um you can contact us on our ministry uh website um and email us and yep we're currently booking right now this tour i don't know what's going to happen Lord willing, we're going to be able to go this summer, <laughs> but with COVID, yeah, I don't really know. Uh, we didn't go last year because of COVID, but, you know, uh, God has a plan, so, and his word's going to keep going forward. So, um, yeah, but I just encourage all the Christian believers to just, like, truly walk uh, in the shadow of Christ and, like, really just, just take up your cross and follow Jesus. And the way to do that is to fulfill the Great Commission. There's so many lost that are out there that that new christ and it, it, it could just be anywhere like when we go to disney world we wear jesus enough shirts and we try to talk to people in the lines and stuff and you get in the cool conversations when you're looking for it and when you're willing and um when the missionaries come to your door please love them if you have mission mormons in your family or in your friends circle please love them and 
and share truth with them. So that's it, man. Hey, Amen. Definitely. Hey, I appreciate it, man. That was awesome. And for those of you, this interview did answer the question or the comment critique that if you really want to know what's going on, talk to a Mormon missionary. And we just did. So Joseph Warren, thank you so much for your time here. I know you're a busy man. Thank you for your thoughts and just letting us get into your brain and into your hearts. And just know we're going to be praying for the family. Uh, praying you. for your personal situation for just salvation for them to come to the knowledge of the truth and the love of christ so again man i i totally appreciate it for those of you still watching go ahead check out adam's road ministry check out the book passport to heaven all these other links tools they're just another apologetic toolkit toolkit you can put in your tool belt to go ahead and just be effectively used by christ yeah. to reach a lost and dying world uh, so that they can find the truth of the gospel so thanks yeah. for checking out till next time God bless.